Welcome, finally, to the season two finale of Nutria Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhardt. Like last year, we're going to somewhat ironically close the year with the very first interview that I recorded for this season. It's the story of an actor who found his way from children's theater to doing lots of community musical theater in his 30s and 40s, and then, much later in life, when most people his age are driving golf carts and tending tomatoes, this man, who spent the majority of his life owning and operating a dairy foods distribution business, was realizing his true calling as an actor, landing TV roles, several independent films, and even a Super Bowl commercial. We'll talk about how all of that happened, as well as how his love of performing arts and performing for the sake of the art itself permeates his life. You'll also learn how, in a very real way, he is the reason that this podcast exists. Here now is the finale of Season 2 of Nutrier Performing Arts Stories. Welcome to this very special edition of Nutrier Performing Arts Stories. I'm Dwayne Burkhardt. Our guest today is our first non-Nutrier graduate, but his wife, three of his five children, and numerous other relatives did attend. He's also lived in the district for more than half of his life. And most importantly, this podcast wouldn't exist without him. So, welcome to the show, my dad, Neil Burkhardt. Hi, all you Trevians. <laughs> so, I want to start because what I, I said that the, one of the reasons that Nutri Performing Arts Stories exists is because of my enduring interest in performing arts and, of course, my history of performing arts at Nutrier, and that existed because of you. And so what I want to start with is actually to go all the way back to early in your life and tell us how it was that you became interested in performing arts to begin with. In other words, how did, how did that start with you when you were a child? Well, you really are going by, back a long ways. <laughs> My first remembrance of performing uh, was in fifth grade when our class was selected to put on a skit and a song at Christmas time for the school. That's my first performance in front of a crowd. And did, did that do something to you? Did it make a difference? Did it like stir you up? Or did... Not a thing. Nothing? <laughs> I, didn't, uh, I didn't really think much of it until the next occasion, which was a uh, Boy Scout troop that I was in decided to put on a dinner and a show. And since I was able to sing, I had the lead in it, and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed singing. I, it wasn't the applause or uh, anything like that. It was just the fun of doing everything and getting it right and coming together at the end. It's, uh, it's a, it was quite a kick for me, and that I, that I remember so well. How old were you when that happened? Well, that would have been about 11 and 12. Mm -hmm. It was funny you would mention fifth grade because was I, I was in fifth grade at, at Pleasant Ridge Elementary when we did the musical Let George Do It. And Mrs. Walzak, my fifth grade music teacher, chose me to be George Washington. And I remember this sort of electric feeling of finishing a song and getting applause and like this, the, this kind of thing for it. Wooden but, teeth and all, huh? Yeah, wooden teeth, <laughs> wooden teeth and all. So, but you ended up somehow, at some point in your life, something happens and you became very interested in and did a lot of community musical theater. 
How did that start and how did you get interested in that and how did that how did you get into that? Well, that's a, a very wonderful story. A fellow at church uh, happened to be a band leader for Bob Hope. His name was Carl Sands. And he came up to me after church one time and said, Oh, I know you sing and we're putting on a uh, a show. Would you come and try out? So I said, sure. Uh, what do I know? Anyhow, I did, and they cast me in the lead. And I, I enjoyed that immensely because this now was in front of three, 400 people in a, in a high, huge high school auditorium. And after the last performance, a couple came up to me and introduced themselves and said, we're putting on Pajama Game, and <sighs> we'd like you to uh, audition for the part of Sid. I didn't have a clue as to who Sid was, but I'd heard of Pajama Game. So I had just finished uh, performing and, and felt good about it. So I did, and they uh, directed me in the lead. So I got to do the lead in Pajama Game, and that was what really hooked me. From then on, I started to watch the papers, the neighborhood's North Shore papers, which at that time had different community theaters going. Glencoe had one. Wilmette had one. Of course, we had the Wilmette Bowl. Glenview had one. It was uh, There were several all over the place, and so I could kind of go from one group to another. Really, that was what hooked me very good. So, and as a, as a side family question, is Carl, is that Uncle Dave's dad? That's correct. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So uh, I, of course, remember the pajama game, and as a result of when this happens in your life, I was at early in elementary school when that happened, I can still remember, you know, the pajama game is the game we're in, and... We're proud to be, and, the, and then it was the, the, the seven and a half yeah, cents doesn't mean a hell of a lot. lot. Yeah. So I know the, I, I grew up learning all these musical songs because you were singing them all the time, but you did Pajama Game and I Do, I Do, and Little Abner and Carousel and the boys from Syracuse and South Pacific, South Pacific and, yeah. and Showboat and a couple others. And, and this goes on for about... I don't know, at least 10, 15 years. Because yeah. by the time I was at Nutrier, I remember you did Brigadoon in the right. Wilmette Bowl. Right. And, and, but, but shortly after that, there's a point where, and I remember you telling me this, and you can tell me if you remember it the same way or not, but there was a point where you stopped for a while. And I asked you about that because you'd, I, you were almost always doing a show, as I recall, but then suddenly you weren't. And I asked you why, and you said, well, son... I've reached a point where I'm too old to play the young man leads and I'm not old enough to play the old man leads. <laughs> Do you remember this? And oh, yes. Well, quite surprisingly, my competition kept getting younger and better. <laughs> and I couldn't understand it, but we were I was competing sometimes against guys who had four years at Juilliard. Mm. And they were they were tremendous. There's no doubt about it. So that kind of, after South Pacific, <laughs> I was almost 50 years old and was cast at Lieutenant Cable. And I kept saying, look, I'm trying out for Emil Beck," And she says, but from the stage, you look so young. So she cast me as Lieutenant Cable, which was kind of fun. And that was the last big show that I did. So you kind of put your career in hiatus for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And then because, and, and of course, you're also working full time when you're doing all this, yes. but the itch for performing arts doesn't ever go away. And at some point uh, around the time, even before you, you started doing TV and movies before you retired, right? Or no, after? Oh, yes. You did? Oh, yes. So how did um, you start? How did you get into television? Why did you make the leap from being on stage to doing t 
TV and movie, st- movie stuff. For some reason or other, I happened to catch a little squib in the Chicago Tribune saying they were looking for extras in a movie called Contagion. <laughs> but the star was Matt Damon, Gwyneth Paltrow, and uh, Paltrow, that's right, Kate sorry. Winslet, and right, right. Uh, Matt Damon. And so I auditioned. I, I have to tell you the story. I went down. It was in a Park District field house in the heart of Chicago, downtown Chicago. And I went down a half an hour early because I figured there'd be a lot of people. Well, I didn't even guess. The line a half an hour early was a block and a half out the door. Wow. Not counting what, so I, I got in line and... They had people coming up and down the line say, don't worry, don't worry, we need hundreds of people. And so I went through the line and put my name in, and I got cast as an extra. And my first shot was at Midway Airport, and I was right there with Kate Winslet. So I did a scene with Kate Winslet, and then the next scene I did was with Gwyneth Paltrow, and then one after that with Matt Damon, and that is what really, really hooked me. From then on, I really... uh, I really wanted to do it, and I started looking for audition parts, and I started doing an awful lot of stuff around Chicago and around the Middle West. Did a, a number of shows in uh, Charleston called Banshee, which worked well for me because I taught on the Banshee airplane. Then I got more and more into just going everywhere I would. Uh, finally settled down in Chicago doing Chicago PD and Chicago Fire and Chicago Med, got some gigs out and I did one a movie out in Canada. That was a movie I was very proud of because Which one was that? Called Hum. Oh yeah, Hum. H-U-M, yeah. And that actually that went to the Toronto Film Fest and won an award, did it not? It did. Uh, I'm not sure about the award, but it went to the, the Film Fest and the thing that I liked most about it was it really really required me to act because I wasn't just a song and dance man just tap chewing my way down the stage. Right. I was a a retired or an old music man who had the early beginnings of dementia and playing with my young grandson who was an up-and-coming music star and I really enjoyed doing that. That required acting and I'm I'm very proud of that movie. So I definitely wanted to talk about Hum because it was such an incredible role for you but also Mm -hmm. kind of a, a moment where you're switching into independent films but before we talk about the indie films let me back up and ask a question about the shift again from stage acting to TV and film acting. And and I've asked this question of, of other guests who went from, you know, the stages at Nutrier to television and film acting. What for you was the biggest difference when you made that transition from your perspective as a performer? Oh, without a doubt, the professionalism. You had makeup people. I mean, we had some at the community level, obviously, but it would be some makeup girl who would be who was running a beauty salon or something. Volunteer like that. and right. It volunteers. The makeup people in the movies are all professionals. And then you have sound people and you have film people. They aren't just volunteers who happen to be able to run a camera, but people who really can set the angles, can put you in the right light. And that's that was a major difference for me and very impressed. Uh, you feel more professional. And when you do the job and you do it well, uh, you feel a great sense of, of warmth in your heart. So I'm going to ask you before I go back to the movies thing about the potentially least challenging acting job that you had. And that was you did not a Super Bowl commercial, but a pre-Super Bowl commercial several years ago, playing an old guy who is enjoying riding around in a convertible. 
<laughs> and I watched you doing this, and I thought, that requires absolutely no acting ability on his part whatsoever. How did you get the gig that ends up being in uh, on Super Bowl Sunday? Actually, they picked me out of, uh, I'm on Actors Access. Hmm. So they looked up older actors because they wanted a, a grandfather type. And they picked me out and called me up and asked me to uh, do this shoot for a, um, oh, what the heck they call it, a, not a bank, but a... Um, Something in financial services. Yeah, financial that. services. Yeah. And uh, they ended up doing that and putting on television. And the next thing I know, my agent calls me up and says, I saw you on the Super Bowl commercial. I said, really? And they had decided to use it for the Super Bowl also. Uh, I didn't get paid for that. Oh, man. And then later on, oh. like uh, last three or four months ago, Blue Cross Blue Shield took a part of that and put it in their commercial. And because it had expired my time, I, I didn't get any pay for that. Oh, <laughs> man. But it was everywhere. I mean, I had friends calling it, me from all over. It, I, I tell you, you what, it, yeah, seeing yeah. seeing your dad on a commercial on Super Bowl Sunday is, is, yeah. is definitely cool. So yeah. to go back to the film, Hum Happens, and suddenly, you know, people in the indie film community now know who you are. And I assume that this also kind of opens doors for the opportunity to play other major roles. The next major role that I think you did, and you can correct me if there's one in between here, was The Preacher. No. No, uh, what was next? There were, the next major film was down in uh, Savannah, Georgia, and it was called Is This All There Is to That? That was a, a really nice job. They took us down to Savannah and put us up in a hotel that Rockefeller used to stay, all the wealthy people and my wife uh, did a little bit in that, and there was a, a very tender scene, and I love that scene because the story is that the girl is a maid witch of the nursing home. She just dominates everybody, and I get to the nursing home, and suddenly uh, she has an interest in me, and it reforms her character, but what she doesn't know is that I have an incurable disease, and so we have this uh, fantastic fling for a very short time, and then... I die. So, <laughs> so, but it was, again, there's a very tender scene in that where I, I try to tell her that I'm dying, and I love that scene. That, that, uh, that was, again, a chance to act. Yeah. We're talking with Neil Burkhardt here on New Trip Performing Arts Stories. We need to take a break, and we will be right back. Friends, are you looking for a great way to show your support for Nutria Performing Arts Stories? Well, I've now written four books, including nonfiction books about business, romance, and humor, and of course, a science fiction novel. So go to Amazon.com and type my name into that search bar. That's D-U-A-N-E, B-U-R-G-H-A-R-D, and grab yourself a great new book today. And we're back. We're talking with Neil Berghard, honorary Nutria graduate for the day, <laughs> and my dad. So just a correction uh, coming back from the break. We found out in the break that the Super Bowl commercial was Sharon View Credit Union, so to give Sharon View their due there. And then the name of the film that you were talking about at Jekyll Island was My Heart is All I Have. My Heart is All I Have, right. Right. So after that, at some point after that, you ended up doing this film called Countdown to Midnight. Yes. And you play, this is the first, I think, like major baddie role I think I've ever seen you play. Well, it was a takeoff on the famous charlatan in California that took all these people to South America. Jim and, Jones, Guyana. Yeah, yeah the Guyana tragedy. He, yeah. I played the part of Jim Jones. 
and had all my people ready to die. And then this gal that I had had a relationship many years ago came into the picture and knew I was trying to do this. And because I had known her before, she got past my guards and she came in and just as I was doing the countdown to midnight to where everybody was going to join me in paradise, uh, she shot me dead. <laughs> so, so having never been killed on stage or film before, was that fun? Is that you know, Well, yeah, but I actually did get, I did commit suicide in Carousel. <laughs> oh, well, that's true, so right. That, that's, that, uh, that, okay. that was fun. So if, is there a, I know they're different and you can love them both in different ways. But looking back at the entirety of your career, do you have a preference for doing film and television or stage work? Is there? Well, it's delightful to do the professional stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's really great. Well, right. I mean, if you'd had yeah. the chance to do like Broadway theater, you might right. feel differently. Yeah, I understand that. Right? Absolutely. I enjoyed so much doing Hum, and I enjoyed Countdown to Midnight. Uh, the the ones where I have to put something into it, where I just don't parrot back all the words that the... Uh, you're not generic uh, old man. You're actually right. doing a role, right? Uh, yeah. Actually changing who I am and uh, being someone else and going out on stage and doing it. And again, the completion of the job. When you've when you felt you've done a good job and you come off the stage, like, uh, for instance, Carousel is such fantastic music. And you come off of that never walk alone and, you know, you're just bouncing because it just leaves you sky high. And uh, that's the kind of feeling that you enjoy. And I've listened to some of the great actors and they say the same thing, that just going to work is what they like to do. It's not the, it's not the, even the reward and the fame, it's getting the job done and doing the job, the joy of being on set and the camaraderie that uh, comes with it, just fantastic. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's really cool to see that. One thing I need to tell our audience that they may not know, because you've done all of this stuff in recent years, and in fact, since you retired, and you're still going, why don't you tell our audience how old you are today? <laughs> I'm 86 years old. Yeah, so at 86, guys, he's he's out there doing this. So and playing pickleball almost every day. <laughs> and so it is never too late for those of you who want to get your performing arts career back in there. Uh, you can be 86 and, and starring in indie films and TV and, and whatnot. So, uh, Neil Burkhardt, Dad, what wonderful opportunity to get the chance to interview you today. Thank you very much for being on New True Performing Arts Stories. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, friends, that's all we have for Season 2 of New True Performing Arts Stories. I'd like to thank all of my guests this season. Rain Wilson, John Suntress, Virginia Madsen, Jim True Frost, the one and only Suzanne Adams, Laura Deutsch, Rusty Schwimmer, and of course my dad, Neil Burkhardt. I'd also like to thank the more than 3,000 of you who listened to our show this season, and especially those of you who have reached out to me with messages of encouragement and support. Now, as always, this episode of Nutria Performing Art Stories is a copyrighted production of Narratives, LLC. It is written, directed, produced, and edited with love and care by yours truly, Dwayne Burkhardt. If you have comments or suggestions, 
please email info at NutrierPADStories.com. A reminder for those in the Nutrier area that the Coraliers in Concert will take place this coming Wednesday, February 21st at 7 p.m. in the Hayes McCausland Theater on the Winnetka campus. And the Wind Ensemble Concert will take place on Thursday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. in Cornog Auditorium on the Northfield campus. Finally, please join us for season three of New Trier Performing Arts Stories, which is currently scheduled to debut on Friday, November 1st, 2024. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. Please hit that subscribe button, and we'll see you next time.